friends, welcome to the Free to Love podcast, where our longing is for you to encounter the love of God and that the truth you discover there initiates a healing journey where you experience your pain being transformed into peace. From that place of peace, you begin to experience greater degrees of freedom as you relate to yourself, others, God, and the world. This week's conversation is about identity. Foundational to the healing journey is the development of a rooted understanding of identity and the role it plays in healthy or hurtful ways of relating to ourselves, others, God, and the world. In this week's conversation, we explore crucial questions and concepts such as, what is a healthy and reliable anchor for our identity? Where does the false self, imposter syndrome, or orphan mentality come from? We also share more deeply some of our own stories and the insights we've gleaned from both triumphs and tragedies along the way. Threaded throughout this week's conversation is the mystery of God's love and the profoundly hopeful truth that if we allow the quiet work of grace to unwind the wounds of the past, we can begin to heal, experience our pain and disappointments as a gift to offer others rather than a burden. Thank you for joining us. And if you have questions or seeking more resources to take the next step in your healing journey, please reach out and connect with us. You can email us at ftlpod at northcoastcalvary.org or find out more information at www.therelationshipresource.org. Thank you and enjoy this week's conversation. All right, friends, welcome back to the Free to Love podcast. We are sitting down, we're in Jeff Rinke's office again. This is our sanctum, sanctorum, where <laughs> we try and um, explore the depths and the mysteries of the human soul. Yes. Um, it's our new hangout place. Yeah. And uh, today, we're going to be jumping into a shallow topic, that of oh, yeah. identity. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> our, our conversation ahead of time um, revealed that not none of us have any opinions about this. Um, oh, so this will be a quick podcast, probably oh, 10 sure. minutes, and we'll call it quits. I, you've got such a beautiful gift of sarcasm. <laughs> Thank you. You know, that's actually, it's part of my false self, my personality, but we're going we're gonna to get into that. There we that. go. We'll get into there, that. There we go. Um, so identity is a massive topic um, yes. in, I mean, it's a perennial issue. It's yeah. probably one of the most important and crucial issues that each person deals with in their life. And yes. it feels like today, if we're looking around at our culture, it is in every headline in so many different yeah. capacities, right? right. Um, particularly for Gen Z, the millennial generation as well, it's something that th- those two generations in particular have taken and kind of cranked up to 11. And mm. uh, so I'd like for us to explore that a little bit. But Jen... Um, I love the starting point that you had when we were talking about earlier. Mm. So this trying to differentiate, um, we want to define what identity is and kind of differentiate it from what we see happening um, or the the ways that we see it used in different contexts. So talk to us a little bit about labels, personality, masks, all that jazz. Well, because I think identity is the question, who am I? Mm. And that's very human to want to know, who am I? Who am I? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and so I think our culture is definitely offering up solutions to who we are. Mm-hmm. And we use a lot of labels. And I think that's the common thing to do out there right now is you use labels and you do it from a young age. Who are you? Oh, 
I am an athlete. Mm-hmm. I am a straight A student. Oh, I'm the funny one. I'm the mm-hmm. I'm the Rachel of the group. I'm the you know what I mean. Like <laughs> yeah. there's so many labels yeah. that we use, um, and people love to explore this. And so uh, technology has added every test under the sun you can <laughs> take for to figure out who you are, yeah. which mm-hmm. character are you, who are you most like, like all these things, and they're. Which because Disney princess are you? Which Disney princess are you? Yes. But they're all forms of labels for us to feel like we can anchor our identity on something. Mm. And that's very big out there. And um, you can do it in fun, funny ways that are a little bit more superficial, like the Disney princess. Or you can do it in these seemingly more researched, nuanced ways. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get a lot of these personality tests. Right. The Myers-Briggs test. Oh, I'm an extrovert. Well, I'm an introvert, which explains why I do this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Or you get yeah. all these um, more official sounding tests like that. The Enneagram is a really popular one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But look at how we will use these things and we will anchor ourselves on them. Um, I know a lot of our listeners probably are familiar with the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. If you're not, it's like a, a scale of one to not not a scale, but it's like categories. There's nine, nine categories, types, yeah. nine personality tests, not t- tests, but temperaments. Um, and what will happen is we anchor our identity on some of these things, and you just you own it, and mm-hmm. it's it's satisfied that little itch of who am I? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a four. I'm a, that means I'm this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. and I just use that as my calling card. Um, but did you just share with us your enneagram type? I did, <gasps> which feels very vulnerable. Well, it is, you know. I mean, what's your? Actually, we got two fours in this. That's actually, I know. you know, that's the question that's you're not you're not supposed to ask. You're not supposed Sorry. to ask because it's Uh-oh. so vulnerable. Right because on. if you know that you're an enneagram exactly number, you know you all exactly. my. So all the <laughs> listeners now know my 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 <laughs> unhealth. They know <laughs> yes, what really like we've got the key to unlock me. Jen. Yes. I, well, hey, I'll join you there. I am also a four. You know, that's I got a amazing. I got a strong performer three wing, but you know, I also got this nerdy five wing over yeah, here with Jeff. All right. Have you done? Have you done? Of course I have. Okay. Yes. Okay. Just you don't know who I. I mean, you haven't figured me out yet. Oh, or? I I know what your number is, okay. but that's because we've done groups together. So <laughs> yes, that's, that's cheating. True. That's cheating. Yes. But getting the point is, it, mm-hmm. we're actually we're playing. We're we're being playful with uh-huh. the reality that a lot of our identity is based on personality types mm-hmm. or based upon um, what we do. Yeah. Yes. As Strength opposed to finders. who we are. That's exactly right. And I think that's a huge distinction. Mm-hmm. Culture likes to define us by what we do, um, often performance-related, which is a huge weight to carry. Because mm-hmm. if your only identity is in this label that I'm an athlete, what happens when you break your leg? Mm-hmm. If your only right. identity is I am a, a wife, and what happens if, that, if your marriage starts to struggle? What happens? If, you know what I mean? Like you can't... Yeah. So what we're talking about mm. is something much deeper, that your identity cannot be anchored on these labels we put on ourselves. It can't be anchored on this um, little test you took. Um, it can't be anchored on how you feel that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that your identity comes from something much, much deeper. Right. And so that's what we want to talk about. That's where we want to go. Yeah. Before we do that, it was interesting to me, Jen, when you kicked us off, you said so well, by the way, uh, this is the a universal human question, like, who mm-hmm. am I? Mm-hmm. And you repeated it, who am I? And you immediately, though, connected, who am I and what is my purpose? 
I yeah. yeah. So now I I think that's distinct from the um you know performing a false identity or or the I am what I do because purpose and what I do are not I mean those are different mm-hmm. why am I deeper here? things yeah. yeah so do you think that I mean Jeff Jen do you guys think that there's a deep connection between identity and a sense of purpose Oh absolutely and again that's I think that's one of the major premises that we want to um share with everybody that if you don't know who you are then you're not going to know what you're going to do or mm-hmm. you're not going to understand your destination or you're not going to understand um your purpose or significance so yeah. all those things of significance purpose meaning yeah they all are tied to the origin of our identity mm. and so when we talk about our identity we're really talking about uh, some really pretty personal questions. Mm-hmm. Not only just who am I, but even more profound is how do I see myself? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the lenses in which I perceive myself? And I think that also ties to how do I see God? Mm-hmm. How do I see my spouse? Yep. How do I look at the world? So really our sense of identity is so foundational and fundamental to the very sense of our purpose, our significance, and our meaning, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, how we interact with others, you are getting absolutely. to you are you are getting to that. How you view yeah. your spouse and others around yeah. you, how you view yourself, really impacts how you view others. I think I've heard you say a number of times, isn't it? Identity determines destiny. Yes. Yeah. Unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by destiny? Yeah. Well, what I mean by that is that right belief determines right behavior. Mm. And if you, don't, if you do not know who you are, you will not know where you're going. Mm. Because all of the sense of, of purpose is really driven by our heart motivation. It is Everything we do externally is driven by how we live internally. Mm. And so, uh, which really gets to this other component that are the we're seeing more than ever before this identity crisis. Mm-hmm. We're seeing identity confusion, and you addressed that in the beginning of our conversation. Is in our culture today is there's so much polarity in regards to who we are in our identity. But I think that our identity crisis is really linked to our identity formation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as we've been discussing the last couple of weeks, is that if you don't know your story, if you don't begin to process. Uh, the deep chapters and the experiences of your life and how you were raised and family experiences and 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 uh, these moments of our life which we had great highs and we had major crisis in our life that all those aspects of our life have contributed to this question of who am I mm-hmm. and so understand that our identity formation is rooted in our family of origin. Mm-hmm. Our parents, our caregivers, uh, were the primary instruments in affecting or impacting how we see ourselves, how we perceive others, how we see God. And I think this is critical. We're getting pretty deep. <laughs> we're already going deep, but I think the reality is we want to get to the heart of understanding the core of our identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to flush this out a little bit even further, right now in our culture, particularly in the West in particular... Um, at work and generally accepted is this idea of social construction as the primary force behind identity creation, right? That it's like, well, hey, actually, um, 
you are the you are the the one who generates. Um, well, society can shape your identity, mm-hmm. um, but then really, you ultimately get to decide who who it is that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that jives with what we're talking about? Or do you see that as in uh, intention with? Talk to me uh, about that a little bit. That's a complicated answer, <laughs> I would say, because yeah. um, because your environment, whether it's culture and like Jeff said, your family of origin, it's not like <laughs> they are instruments that directly or in- indirectly, like advertently or inadvertently, they help shape your identity. Um, I mean, as parents or as a parent, sometimes I'm like, oh, golly, I feel really bad that I'm helping shape your identity right now. I hope I'm doing a good job. Like, like, it's just the nature of living. A child grows up and what kind of environment they're in and the people around them and the way they are treated um, is going to help them understand who they are Mm. and how they fit in the world. And um, the sort of the model that we use a lot in some of the skills material is restoration therapy. And one of their tenants would be saying that... um, the way we are loved is how we learn our identity. Mm. The way we are loved shapes our mm-hmm. identity. And so that's where this family of origin comes in, the culture comes in, how people are responding to you. If you grow up in a country that endures this crazy earthquake when you're five years old and and world feels chaotic and and there's nobody has time for you and you're not seen and you feel lost, so like that's mm. going to help you internalize who I am and how I fit in this world. Mm-hmm. And so the way um, the way we are loved tells us who we are. If we are loved in a agape, sacrificial, beautiful, you are worth dying for way, mm. then we go, wow, I am worthy. Mm-hmm. I am valuable. If we are loved in a phileo, um, brotherly love, affectionate um, companion way, it, it tells us I really belong. I am wanted. Mm. I am wanted just for being me. I didn't do anything. I didn't earn it. I just, people like me and they want to be around me. If you are loved in an Eros type love, um, that's the root for where we get like erotic and stuff, but mm-hmm. it doesn't always mean sexual. It can, or Eros is like this unique and special. If you are loved in that kind of way, it means that you are, you grow up knowing I am unique and there's no one else in the whole world like me and I Mm. bring something to the table Mm. that is uniquely me and so therefore I have this innate value just by being who I am created and so we think um so that's it in a nutshell of like a a quick flyby of how love can impact how we view ourselves and so does it come from within Joseph you asked that Mm. like do we form our own identity do Mm -hmm. we just choose who we want to be um, I think, I think to some degree, we have to choose to believe those things mm-hmm. and go, yeah, I do believe that I am wanted mm-hmm. and I'm choosing that. So on that sense, yes, we do choose it. Mm-hmm. But on other times, I think culture has taken that in a really weird way to be like, oh, I get to just pick what I like, who I am, and choose your own. Adventure. I remember doing that in junior high, to be mm-hmm. honest. I remember, like, because oh, yeah. that was really big. Um, I don't know if this dates me or not, but uh, like the goth scene was really mm-hmm. big, uh-huh. or the like it was before emu. Did you, like, did you, ever, you ever have a goth face? Emo, I even <laughs> used emu like the animal, yeah. <laughs> it's emo. It was like before yeah. that, but it was like, um, there was all these trendy like clicks around school, and it was mm-hmm. like, oh, I remember sitting there going, oh, well. 
who do I want to be and where do I want to belong? Mm. And I just almost like a a persona that I want, like I tried out. Yeah. yeah. And I remember looking around the the cafeteria, going, which table do I want to sit at? Yeah. And I just kind of. Which persona do I want to try putting on? Oh, I could be that, like a chameleon. Mm-hmm. And so can we choose it? I mean, I think people do all the time. Yeah. I think people have definitely chosen, I want to be this, and mm-hmm. I'm, this is my style, this is who I'm yeah. going to be. Um, but I don't. I think we're encouraging people to go way deeper than that. Yeah. yeah. So what, what I'm hearing you're saying, Jen, is that your diagnosis is not your identity. Your successes are not your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, your race is not your identity. Mm. Um, your failures are not your identity. Now, I don't want to minimize that those are all fragments of part of, there are certainly aspects of our character and there are significant parts of the uniqueness of who we are as individuals. But what I'm hearing, you're getting to the very root issue, is that our identity is more of something that's very intrinsic. Mm. And it's really not so much determined by what we do or how our culture looks at us, but it's really driven by the reality is our innate value. Are we, are we loved? Are we, mm. and where does that come from? And I think that's, that's where we want to take this conversation uh, as we talk about, as we're here in the title of this podcast is free to love mm-hmm. is that's the direction we want to go. Is it, well, how can we get freed up to become a more loving person. And I think that's why identity is at the heart of this conversation. Mm -hmm. If I understand deeply and correctly who I am, then it frees me to love God, frees me to love Mm -hmm. myself, frees me to love others. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. What do you think are some of the primary ways that, um, what are the primary identities that you guys see our culture shaping people into being or that are offered us like these, some of these false personalities. Can we name a couple of those for people um, to help them kind of identify maybe where, where they land? I mean, I think you, I heard you mentioned performing like a performer. Sure. That's a false one, right? I know that to answer my own question, um, I feel that our culture definitely tries to form the identity of consumer Mm -hmm. into everybody that I am what I consume. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I think most people probably don't label them that that uh, broadly. I think you, you la- like, I'm a vegan or mm. I'm a, like, they go, they go, yeah. they go real with it. Um, mm-hmm. They, I, that's because I'm not a vegan. Um, no offense to any vegans out there. That's, I think I commend people who can, <laughs> can stick to those kinds of things. Um, but the, the other false self labels, is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, well, I think sometimes we label ourselves by our neuroses mm-hmm. and like, oh, I, um, I have anxiety. I'm anxious all the time or I, mm, that's just yeah. who I am. I'm depressed. Um, and that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. Not just something that I struggle with, but that's who I am. Like that's when you, when you use these things as that's the difference, mm-hmm. you can be a, f- a full, like walking in the truth of who you are and say, and I struggle with anxiety. Um, I have anxious thoughts. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's an ownership of your, like your struggle Mm. that 
I think is a healthy way to express that. But when we've internalized some of these things as our identity, I think that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. When you go, yeah. oh, I am this. Yeah. I'm just an anxious. Like, and I think what we're what we're trying to make some clarity on is that our pain and our coping mechanisms don't define us. There you go. And I think I think that our propensity um, in our confusion is that we will attach our identity toward idiosyncrasies, to personality, yeah. you know, traits. Mm-hmm. Um, and even more, I think even more profoundly, and which is more of a subconscious thing, is that our, our, a lot of our identity has been grounded in how we were uh, how we were loved or not loved, and getting back to yeah. getting mm-hmm. back to the core issue of understanding the whole restoration model is is Terry Hargrave um, as he has uh, proposed is that our identity really is grounded in the objective in the objectivity is am I intrinsically valued? Um, do I have, do I, apart from what I do, apart from my personality, apart from my successes or failures, am I loved? And that takes us right to, that takes us to the, I think the, the deeper issue is, is that of the sense of transcendency of God and the spirituality of the, um, you know, of God's kingdom. And I remember uh, James Sart, who was a French philosopher, um, and I think he—he he might even been an atheist, or an, he was at least an agnostic. But he mm-hmm. was an existentialist, and I remember him saying, "I read that he said that that the finite without an without an infinite reference point has no meaning." Mm-hmm. And it just to me, I when I heard that, I'm going, "Oh, so in the temporal world, in in this world of diversity, the more fragmented we become." Uh, the the more polarized we become, it's going to just it's going to magnify the identity confusion, mm-hmm. identify crisis, and so how what we want to take people back to is that infinite reference point that there is a loving God, there's a there's a gracious loving God who sacrificed Himself for you, and He did that because you do have value, mm-hmm. yeah. because you are you are meaningful, and and He He does that because not only do you have value, but you have purpose, you have meaning, and I have a destiny for you. Yeah. And all of that stands and lasts and is eternal, whether you feel like it or not. That's, That's right. the infinite versus the finite. Like that doesn't fade away. That doesn't crumble based on our emotions or based on our failures or based on our our status. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't base it's not based on our bank accounts. It, that those truths hold those so if our identity is built on those truths, yeah. that this is who God says we are, this is how God sees us, mm-hmm. then, oh my gosh, there's so much freedom there. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's not based on all these things that can crumble when we can't just muscle through and yeah, perform our way through life. So I'm wondering, like for you, Joseph, um, and this really does ta- attach to the uh, self-definition um, of our own identity, mm-hmm. is so... In your journey and your story, and, and I know we've processed and you've you've done such deep work of understanding your own identity, is that um, when you um, when you did not experience love, or when you felt, or you interpreted the way you were raised, or interpreted experience of your life that you that you were not valued and that you were not, 
or, you know, then how did you cope with that? And how did that impact your, how did that impact your self-definition? Hmm. Easy question to answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I so appreciate the conversation that we're having. And when I, part of how I understand it through my own story and the, the work I've done trying to understand my story is um, identity formation, right, is really impacted by our family, how we're, how we're loved, how we're not loved. For me, um, one of the things I wrestled with for a very long time was a shame-based identity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was raised in a, a pretty zealous uh, religious, you know, Christian household in a really wonderful way, but it was very mm-hmm. intense. And so one of the messages mm-hmm. I internalized really early is that, like, well, you know, you you have to be a, a good Christian. So that started mm-hmm. to build a little bit mm-hmm. of this perfectionist coping mechanism in me. Uh, and then there was a season in my family's life where there was a my parents went through a, a really a really traumatic uh, time in their marriage, and it was I was just I was I was around eight nine years old, and one of the things I've discovered is that was kind of the point where shame really got its its claws in me. Yeah, and because um, I didn't really know what was going on, my parents uh, they they shared with us later in in life what they went through during that time, but they didn't talk about it openly. So there is this deep pain that was permeating our family, mm. didn't know the source of it. And I ended up actually just kind of internalizing that and feeling like, man, I'm, I'm bad. Yeah. Right. And, um, and God will only love me if I perform well. Right. Yeah. So I started, I started in a lot of ways performing my spirituality and my religion and my relationship mm-hmm. with God, not realizing that, um, that dramatically, colored how I understood God, you know? I mean, the image of God that I was presented from my church, from my parents and family, wasn't the the big tyrannical God on the throne, you know, who's always angry with me, but that actually was the picture of God that I developed internally because I had this shame um, and this performance, like, issue that I hadn't sorted out, right? So every time that I missed the mark or didn't measure up... um, I felt terribly about myself, and I was convinced that this is who God was. God was, he was not loving, mm. he was not present, he was not kind, he was not for my healing good. He was the opposite of all those things. He was absent, he was angry, um, he he was kind of perpetually disappointed in me not living up to my potential, Yeah, you know? Mm. Um, and man, I lived in that prison for a very, very long time, you know? And yeah. I'm so grateful that part of the work that I've got to do with you, Jeff, and through the skills courses and everything um, has been to discover, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, uh, that is not who God is. In fact, that actually, that's just, that was just a projection of my own pain in a lot of ways. And to discover the truth that God is the God who comes near to me, who is present, loving, healing for, for my healing good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me bring in a, let me just uh, tie that, and thank you so much for your vulnerability. Let me tie that to basic principle um, that we have created that actually is in the identity skills to material. Um, and one of the principles is that as a child, uh, if we are in our, in, in our upbringing, in our relationship with our caregivers, if our relational needs are not met, then we naturally create what we call a survivor 
identity. We create mm-hmm. this false self mm-hmm. in order to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the so not experiencing love, not feeling loved, or not feeling safe, then our natural propensity is is that our we will create a false self to protect our wounded child mm. self mm-hmm. in order to survive. Now the Bible, it's interesting, you know, what is the what is that characteristic? What is that identity term that the Bible uses? Mm-hmm. And the Bible calls that an orphan. Mm. And you know, as opposed to a child of God, uh, the Bible calls that an orphan and having having an orphan mentality. Now, I don't know if you've heard the whole concept of an impo- imposter syndrome. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, and one of the premises of being imposter syndrome is that you internalize your identity as a failure, mm-hmm. yeah. that you're a phony, that you're not who you really are. Mm-hmm. And I think that does describe and really does connect with a shame-based yeah. Totally. And that false self and that exterior of like performance or putting on some sort of mask, because golly, you really can't let anybody look behind that mask. Because if they knew who I really was, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't, they would reject me. They wouldn't love me. Yeah. Which, so I have this little theory (laughs) that Mm -hmm. when we're not, um, when we don't experience a perfect life <laughs> where we're not loved perfectly by those around us. And it could be so for so many variety of reasons, right? right. No, no, none of us are perfect. Our parents weren't perfect. We moved, you know, things like that happen and, and just life happens. And so we're not always loved in this foundational way that tells us that we are mm-hmm. all these things. Um, so I think that when we experience these little, these little things that go, um, that we call violations, violations of, love um, or trustworthiness, um, it puts this little question mark. So sometimes there's a violation of the way we are loved like or abandoned or something, and there's a stark or there's trauma. There's a very stark, like, clearly I am not worthy. Like, it's mm-hmm. a clear thing. But other times it's so subtle. Yeah. Um, and we so then it's just this little question mark. Like, I lived on the other side of town when I was young from where I went to school. Mm. And so all of my friends at school, in elementary school, they lived in the same neighborhood. They could run to each other's houses. They would leave their back doors and they would go hang out every weekend. I, on the other hand, lived on the other side of town. So I was always excluded. Mm. So when we would come back to school on Monday, they would be talking about all these things that they had done together. And I just felt left out. And I felt, did they not invite mm. me? Did mm. they not want me? Yeah. And then as a little kid, you don't have a good explanation of, well, we lived 30 minutes away. You don't have that rationale. You just know maybe they didn't want me mm. or I wasn't included. And um, and so then there's this little question mark yeah. of, oh, maybe I'm not yeah. wanted. Mm-hmm. Maybe right. they don't really like me. Maybe I'm not that likable. Mm-hmm. And so then that's that imposter. That's that that's false right. self. That's that mask that comes on of like, well, I'll just try harder to make them like me. That's right. I'll just... What do I need to do to to make sure I don't ever feel this feeling again? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This feeling of being left out. So I will just I'll be a chameleon. I'll be whatever they want me to be, so that mm-hmm. I, next time I'll be included. Yeah. And when you're not included again for reasons you don't know as a kid, uh, you come back and go, "Wow, it's not working. I either need to try harder, or I need to try a different coping." You just you don't realize that what you're doing is a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. You just develop this false. Self and for me, I definitely shame was a part of that too. So then I sort of internalized 
deep down, I don't think I'm really wanted. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think that people really want me for who I am. I better mm. be who I think they want me to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And man, like you, Joseph, like I grew up with this shame. And and for me, I, I had that created like a shame monster. Mm-hmm. That's what I call it. Um, that That voice that's very... Maybe it sounds like a coach. Maybe it sounds mm-hmm. like a drill sergeant. Maybe it sounds like um, just that nagging finger. I don't know whose voice it is in mm-hmm. whatever listener is listening, whose your shame monster is in your mm-hmm. head. But my shame monster, um, it's that nagging voice that's always saying, you could have done that better. You could have mm-hmm. done this. Look at you. And that voice. And it took me, um, it's taken, it, I'm, it's a work in progress, mm-hmm. but to, to, confront that voice and say, you're not actually the truth. And, and to give God's voice um, a louder megaphone than my shame critic, um, my shame mm. monster. Um, so that's been part of my identity journey is realizing who is confronting some of those lies I adopted mm-hmm. as a kid and really allow for what God says about me to be the dominating factor that I have to choose to believe. I'm so sorry for young Jen feeling <laughs> that yeah. just breaks breaks my heart. I like it. thinking so you're so well. you're so wonderful. I know. You know, <laughs> living yeah. on the far side of town. Um, oh my gosh, <laughs> a feeling like um, I have I have battled that lie that I'm not wanted. Wow. I battled that wow. far into. I'm just now healing from that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but that is that it has driven so much of my false self mm-hmm. over the years, yes. and to know deep down truly innately and mm-hmm. infinitely god says i am wanted and valued yeah. yeah not based on whether i've earned it not based on my performance not based on all these things is like so freeing mm-hmm. yeah it is it is revolutionary it is i and i thank you again thank you so much for for your vulnerability and i know as i'm thinking about how i define myself and where my identity was growing up and as i unpack my own stories that i remember when i was 12 years old, I went to my mom. I said, how come dad doesn't love me, you know? And as I begin to unpack that and do my own self-discovery, is that uh, part of that that, uh, curiosity and that sense of emptiness of not feeling love for my dad was really grounded in of of that of being emotionally abandoned by my parents. And it's not Mm. that they were bad people. It's that my mom had four kids to raise and she had a full-time job. My dad had a traveling he was a traveling salesman he wasn't around i have i have no recollection of any emotional profound deep emotional memories mm. from the time i was born till actually till i was 9 years old which is wow. pretty crazy yeah. i do know now so if i don't have if i don't have any memory of my past what does that mean mm. and I, I i now understand is there was uh, there was a profound absence of nurturing of attunement mm of attentiveness, of engagement by yeah. my parents, yeah. that I, my brain, now what happens, I realize, is that a lot of my identity growing up was grounded in my coping mechanisms yes. in order to protect myself. Yep. And those coping mechanisms became hardwired into my brain, yep. and I begin to believe those coping mechanisms, that yes. I'm all alone, yes. mm-hmm. or that um, I'm, I'm a failure, mm-hmm. uh, or that I'm not wanted, and it's mm-hmm. interesting how those lies that were grounded in my family of origin. I mean, have you ever? It's really fascinating to think. What would it be? Could you ever imagine what was like the first year of your life, or the first two years <laughs> of your life? 
We have no recollection of that. But now as an, as an adult and those of us who, you know, we've done our own work and this is part of what we, God's call us to do is that we know that the absence of love or safety, even the first year of your life, is going to cause you instinctively, instinctively. to create coping mechanisms to protect yourself from pain. Mm-hmm. So how I realize is that part of, as an adult, is that I turned against myself, mm. my yeah. false self. I turned against myself in that shame when reality is those coping mechanisms that have not worked for me as an adult actually worked for me and were necessary as a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They got you through. They got yeah. me through. So yeah. it wasn't, so I struggled. Part of my coping mechanism was self contempt. Yeah. yeah. At, when I became a Christian, I was really good. I was really good at shaming myself that I'm just not good enough. And I got to work work harder, you know? (laughs) And it wasn't until I had a major breakthrough, probably about 10 years ago, when I was able to give grace, give grace to myself, Mm -hmm. to that false self, and tell that false self, thank you for being there for me when I was a little boy. Now I don't need you anymore because I have Jesus. Yep. Mm. So I give you to Jesus, but I'm grateful that you were there for me. Yeah. And that sort of dialogue, that internal dialogue was so revolutionary for me. And I look mm. back at it now, that was the work of the Holy Spirit, yeah. of, mm-hmm. of me receiving God's goodness and His grace. Mm. Yeah. So we've all got a little shame monster Yes, we do. (laughs) Jeff, thanks for sharing some of your story too. Um, And I was thinking about that because that's, we all three, I think one of our default is shame. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we do, our go-to is to turn in on ourselves and that self-contempt. But there are some people whose go-to is to not internalize it, but to Mm -hmm. put it outward, externalize it. And that's where a lot of anger comes in Mm -hmm. and blame comes in. And so I think um, people who are just, there's this deep, rooted anger in them mm-hmm. because of some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is how healing comes. Yeah. This is how you, I mean we don't have to be angry people all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it this is it's the same work that you did, Jeff, for the to confront that internal. Um, we that can be the same it's the same process to get rid of that external, that yeah. blame, that blame coping mechanism. And so So here's another question I'd like to throw out at you guys as we as we continue the whole issue of identity is how has your um, story, as you've, you've unpacked your story, and the pain of your childhood and the wounds that you acquired growing up, and then walking into the kingdom of God, becoming a follower of Jesus, did your own woundedness impact how you saw God? Or how you viewed Jesus? Is there any correlation from your own pain and the violations of love and trust? Do you think that has any impact as a believer on how you view and how you respond to God the Father or or uh, God the Son? For sure. I mean, I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I already kind of shared that was part of what you know my story from earlier. So yes, it absolutely did color my image and understanding of God. So uh, Jen, 
I'll let you respond to that one since I've kind of already said my piece. Well, sure. Um, as a, a kid for my younger years, um, he was my safe haven of, of truth that, which is why when I experience these things that might violate some of those truths, um, it just was a question mark. It wasn't this for sure. You're really unwanted, Jennifer. It was a question mark. Maybe I am. And so that little doubt, I think the enemy played with that little doubt. And so then a lot of my life was responding to it or was confirming some of those lies. But it wasn't until I was um, older when um, when I I was uh, a, like yeah I was yeah I don't even know how to say that but when I was <laughs> when I was sexually abused mm. later in life that was wow. when um, some of those violations were so stark mm. that really hurt my relationship with God yeah. mm-hmm. because I did say maybe. Maybe your love is conditional, God. Mm, Maybe yeah. I'm not valuable enough that you didn't help me in that moment. And so maybe I do actually have to earn it. Maybe I disappointed you somehow or that you didn't show up for me. Mm-hmm. Like that did make me question some of those foundational truths about who I am, my identity that mm-hmm. I thought was grounded. Um, that that trauma is like that. Trauma can be so scarring that it really rattles some of those foundational mm-hmm. things. Um but I realized that I was, um, I was putting a lot of that on God and, and God. Uh, so I had we had to work through that together. Jesus yeah. and I did yeah. have a lot of conversations about that. Um, and part of my healing was to recognize what um, my anger had been putting mm-hmm. on Him um, versus who He really is mm-hmm. and how He really does see me yeah. and how He really has always been there and shown up for mm. me because yeah. I am I am still valuable and nothing that's happened to me could ever change that or take that away. Yeah. So So that thank you. I thank you for your vulnerability. Um yeah. and I think about um purpose yeah. in life and how you know we hear that passage that all things work together for good to those who love God and call the core and his purposes. And sometimes we can use that as a cliche and sometimes we use that as a coping mechanism to minimize yeah. our pain. Yeah. And yet if we really want to look at it more from a from a more of a profound kingdom of God, um, transformational, developmental perspective, can I ask you this question? Is as painful as that journey's been for you and that dark night of your soul, mm-hmm. how has God used that for you to 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 ground to be more grounded in God's love and who he, and and who he is. Yeah. Oh, he's used it immensely because now the anchor is it is a deep anchor because we we did struggle. We did work through that. We did have to have all those conversations and I spent I spent years angry at God. Um I felt betrayed by him. Um I felt like <laughs> I think I, I wanted to deconstruct uh, my faith. I mm-hmm. wanted to be like, maybe this is all not true, and maybe this is just the opium of the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, and but still, what it was was, um, it's like when you have a fight with your best friend. Like at the end of the day, like I knew he was real and I knew he was there, and there was still this connection. I was just very angry at him, and I didn't want to speak to him, mm. and I didn't understand. And so I felt like a petulant child, but I felt very justified in my anger. Um, and 
years like that. Um, and we would go on walks and I would, I call them prayer walks, call them whatever you will. I mm-hmm. called them venting sessions where I would be to the average person driving by. I just looked like I was yelling to the wind, but, <laughs> um, and you're but, the only person that's ever done. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, we, I had to see what I had, what, how I was viewing God. And I used some imagery work. I, I just, you know, mm-hmm. really visualizing yeah. where is Jesus in this room right now? Mm. Where is God? How do I view him? And what's on his face? What has his facial expression when he's looking at me? And, um, and the Holy Spirit, like, and I, listener, if you are needing to walk through something like this, it really helps to have um, a friend or a mentor do it mm-hmm. with you. Um, but man, I, I, um, had to confront, is that really true? Does God really look at you like that? Like Joseph, like you were saying, is he really shaking his finger at you? Mm-hmm. Um, or is that God or is that me putting that on God? Right. Mm-hmm. And I had to really challenge the way I was viewing God. And the flip side of that, um, coming out of that is this deeper understanding, this deeper affection, this deeper connection with the Lord. And so the Jeff, to your, your question, I walk people... I get to share the real yeah. love that I know mm-hmm. from my, I know that I know that I know these things to be true. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, I get to operate out of that place yeah. and it does change my everyday. It changes how I interact with people and it changes how I minister to people mm-hmm. and it changes how I preach. Like it's just coming from a different place. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. you read scripture from a different place. And um, I know last, last uh, podcast we talked about uh, wholeness yeah, and, and kind of, understanding that as you're sharing part of your story and the profound, sacred, painful season of your life. Um, and at the same time, that was, that's part of your journey of transformation of becoming a whole person as you've integrated those, if you've worked hard at, in your pain, integrating those, those unwanted moments and those crises in your life, and what I'm hearing you're saying is that has made you actually more of a whole person. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that I immediately think of the line that the wound becomes the gift. Mm-hmm. If we if we say yes to the healing journey with God, if we are honest about and with our pain, I love the image of if everybody who meets Jen. Um, if you haven't met her yet, I'm sorry, you'll get the joy at some point, but she is this incredibly kind, sensitive, earnest, positive, joyful, upbeat person. And so, I mean, that's just, that's right. It's who you are. <laughs> Very kind. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so this image of you, you know, I'm picturing you gripping the steering wheel, <laughs> and, you know, and yelling, um, that was what I hear is that was a crucial part of your healing journey, right? Um, in part because you're wrestling with this concept of God. You're wrestling with this anger towards him. Um, God, we have to learn that God can handle that stuff. He can yeah. handle the darker emotions. And he actually yeah. is He's sitting patiently waiting for us to bring those things to him, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So that he can, he can absorb the pain mm-hmm. and he can show us, he can help us transform the pain and show us a... Um, I cannot protect you from everything. I am with you in mm-hmm. everything, though. And 
if we say yes to the healing journey, like it says, yeah, the, the wound mm-hmm. becomes the gift, which mm-hmm. is just, I mean, we could spend a whole episode talking about <laughs> that and, you know, now one's idea of the wounded healer. Redemption, yes. Yeah. We spend a whole time on that. We, we're, we've got to bring it to a close. Um, and so I do want, before we get to it briefly, I, I want Jeff, you to end us uh, by talking about a little bit about this assessment tool that people who are walking through the skills course will be asked to do in, um, and I think it's just really helpful, even if listeners aren't actually in a skills course, we'd encourage you to get connected to one, but if they're not, I'd love for them to be able to have access to this little diagnostic tool that you developed. Um, but before we get to that, I, a couple of things I heard as you guys have been talking over the last 20 minutes or so, um, we had all identified that we each have a shame monster. <laughs> and uh, I think that's really important to name because, I mean, so grateful for the work of Brene Brown, right? Mm-hmm. Identifying a key takeaway from her research and shame, you know, shame researcher for the last 15 years is that it is a, a human universal. It's mm-hmm. a universal human experience. So some people may not have internalized it to the depth that we have and, you know, <laughs> grew a, a, such a large shame monster, but it is something that everybody does experience. Yeah. Um, a, another thing I loved that you named... Jen is, hey, uh, not everybody has a really tragic, trauma-filled story, mm-hmm. right? That was that was a a big inhibitor for me progressing on the healing journey. Is that I come from an amazing family, mm-hmm. and I largely looked at my family and was like, man, like, why do I feel so messed up? Because mm-hmm. I had yeah. a, I had yeah. a great life. Like, yeah. I don't ha- I can't complain about anything in comparison yeah. to other people to friends to family, you know, like I, man, you know? Um, so I love that you, you named, Hey, it doesn't have to be this huge thing. (laughs) It can be this little thing. And Jeff, you named it too. in, in talking about the absence of intimacy and of affection and of access to your dad and to your mom, Mm -hmm. right? That wasn't this, it wasn't this, um, the sort of trauma that you just shared. Right. Right. Jen, right? It wasn't physical abuse. It was yeah. the absence of something. Mm-hmm. And so I just and wanted to... it was to, subtle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I want, Which is, can be even more confusing. Yes. Totally. Because I think it just creates enough doubt that you go, am I really this? That's and then right. the yeah. next little experience kind of confirms, yeah, maybe I'm not really this. And then the next thing, little mm-hmm. little tiny thing that you go, yep, I guess that's right. Yeah, you know what? I guess that's really what I am. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll we'll get more into this. We're going to... What we're going to do since we're running out of time, there's a lot more that we want to unpack about identity. So we are going to do, um, I'm just making the call right now. We're going to do another episode. It might not be as long, but we haven't got to unpack some of the positive side of identity and where Mm -hmm. we're wanting to point people. Um, Who is it that God says that we are? Mm -hmm. Um, What do we mean when we're talking about, hey, there is an identity that is yours by right, that transcends the social construction, that transcends the identity formation that happens in your family system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want to spend some time talking about that, unpacking it, and sharing with people too how, as we three have engaged with that and discovered that that grounding truth, how that's transformed us. Mm-hmm. So, um, next week we'll uh, we'll circle back and we'll identity we'll unpack. part two. Yeah, identity part two. Um, but so to close us out, this diagnostic tool that will help kind of assess um, where you're at with your identity. Uh, it it made me think, Jen, sorry, this is last thought, I promise. Last thought for me, Jen, <laughs> Jen and then I'm going to... No, you're doing I'm good. Gonna, 
I'll pass it to you, Jeff, yeah. and you can bring us home. Um, Jen, you, you talked about these voices, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> these little yeah, lies, yeah. these little questions, right? And how they slowly would start to build. And that is so key. I know for mm-hmm. me, um, it was, come on, Carlson. That was one of them. <laughs> you know, also was often filled with expletives. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And... Uh, a key part in my journey was when I some a mentor of mine helped me to begin to develop the awareness of that internal like monologue yeah. or dialogue that yeah. was going on, and to begin to question. I loved this. He asked me this because I was saying, "I don't know if I don't know this whole spiritual warfare thing." We haven't even gotten into the spiritual side no, of that, haven't. so so we'll no. get to that because <laughs> we, we, we do. Yeah. I think it is important for yeah. us to and you do talk about this in the material mm-hmm. um, to name explicitly. And maybe even uncomfortably for some people, you know, um, the role of Satan, the accuser, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the spiritual aspect to how that influences our identity. So we'll cover that next time. But he said to me, I'm sitting there going, I'm depressed at this point. Um, there's a fair amount of chaos in my life. I'm feeling pretty terrible about myself. And I'm really wrestling with those internal uh, thoughts and dialogues. Mm-hmm. But I, I had... They'd been going on for so long that I could not really differentiate myself from them. Right. right? Yeah. I identified that this good. is yeah. this yeah. was me. Yes. Right. And he gave me this great little tool. He said, Hey, next time that happens, will you do me a favor and just pause and listen and observe and 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 identify what person they're speaking in? Are they speaking? Is is the voice first person, second person, third person? And uh I was like, okay, I can do that. I don't know about all this spiritual mumbo jumbo you're talking about, but I can I can do that exercise. It's easy. And so, I mean, you know, I think it was probably mm-hmm. the next morning or something, I had one of those at- attacks of uh, those old thoughts coming up, and I realized all of them were in second person. All of them were accusing me. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't I am this, which I was grateful for, because yeah. uh, it helped me begin that journey of developing an awareness that hey, maybe they're is a different message yeah. um, that I can, I can focus on, a different truth that I can receive. Yes. Uh, but that was a little bit of a diagnostic tool that helped me. That's yeah. good. Yeah. That's so good. Very helpful. So bringing this home. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and this is one of the things we, we encourage in our classes. And one of the major characteristics of our skills classes is that of authenticity and living a life of integrity and being honest. And and so I'm going to do this real briefly, but we do take personal inventory. We, we try to intentionally take personal inventory in every one of the classes. And I think about the passage of Proverbs 28, 13. It says, whoever conceals their wrongdoings, their sins, does not prosper. But the one who confesses or acknowledges and renounces them finds mercy. Mm-hmm. So so part of the part of this process that we're talking about and which we believe is is important for our transformation and our growth and our health is to know our story is the first thing we have to discover the areas of our wounded nature and the lies that we have believed about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what you're talking about is we need to unpack that. Um and and it does understanding that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and the powers of this dark world. So there's a whole other dimension we're going to get into that in our next discussion. 
But the second principle is that those areas in which we are hiding in and we're concealing our um, areas of shame or failures or abuse of things, is that those areas which we hide are in darkness, a lot of them are addiction and lies, are the very areas of our defeat mm. where we don't experience victory. And that's why confidentiality, openness, safety are so important in these groups. And then the last principle is, is how do we cultivate and understanding understanding who God is as our Heavenly Father and beginning to reframe our thinking and to transform our thinking to a place where we hunger for God, we long for God as a little child. That for our part of our healing is that we have to go to that place that, that the Father and describes us as His children. We have to become childlike. We have to make ourselves vulnerable to go back to that place where we have the courage to get in touch with our pain, to get in touch where there's been the absence of love and trust. And so that's the journey, is that how can we put ourselves in a position where we hunger for God? But we have to be honest with ourselves. And so to bring this to a close is the assessment tool we use. We ask four questions regarding your identity. And so you may uh, the, you may uh, rate yourself on a zero, which, or, which is never or rarely as one, occasionally as a two, and then all the time would be a five. So here are the four uh, statements about your identity that we, that we evaluate ourselves. And the first one is, I hold myself in high regard despite of my imperfections. So that's something we can even, whoever's listening to this, that where would you where would you place yourself? How would you define yourself um, in holding yourself in high regard, despite that you have idiosyncrasies, failures, and imperfections? The second statement is, "I have my own identity in God that is sound and secure," and that's significant. Is that do we under, that having our own significant, unique, sacred identity that we find ourselves grounded in? the nature of the triune God. So where would you put yourself on that? You know, mm. um, again, never would be zero, all the time would be a five. The next statement is, I know who I am, and for the most part, I like who I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and I know probably today that, you know, I would, you know, I'd put myself <laughs> maybe as a, maybe as a three, um, most of the time, you know, mm. or more often than not, is um, when I'm walking in my peace cycle, then I'm able to walk into my true identity, who I am mm-hmm. in God. But that's the battle, the inner mm-hmm. battle that we're fighting. And then the last one, I feel confident that God loves me. Therefore, I'm able to forgive myself when I sin and not feel shame and guilt. Mm. So these are just... These are good statements that we can assess and evaluate and take spiritual inventory of mm-hmm. um, as we bring this to a close. Man, thanks, Jeff. It's uh, really helpful. And Jeff, Jennifer, uh, I'm so grateful. Thanks for this conversation today and for your your courage, for your vulnerability, <laughs> for your wisdom. Um, I just, I'm... I'm always grateful for how much I personally get out of these conversations. Um, it's so helpful to be able to to share these things and to discuss them and to try and dig deeper into them because it really is, I mean, this whole thing, 
The healing journey is a lifelong one. It's one that, Jeff, I, I love how consistently you remind us that, hey, um, God moves slow, and the healing journey is a slow one, and it's one that we're on for the rest of our days. Um, and so I hope everybody has been encouraged by this. Uh, they've been equipped with some some knowledge, um, some tools to help identify some of the the different messages about their identity that they might face in in the world, in their families, and um, that their your guys's uh, curiosity has been pricked a little bit. So you'll come back next week, and we'll have part two of the conversation about identity, diving deeper into uh, the spiritual side of things. And I'm really looking forward to that conversation and learning from you guys as well. So thanks so much, guys. Thank, Thank you, Joseph. You. Thanks, Joseph. <laughs> thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have questions or need help or for more information about how to take the next step in your healing journey, please feel free to email us at ftlpod at northcoastcalvary.org or head over to the relationshipresource.org to learn about what classes and resources are available to support you. A big thanks to North Coast Calvary Chapel and the Relationship Resource for making this podcast possible. Our podcast was directed and produced by Joseph Carlson and edited by Nate King. Original music by the one and only Brian McMaster. <laughs>